I have a question for you. Uh, if you, I, you sent me some prints uh, recently along with a loaner camera, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. And it was fun seeing the prints. And I was wondering if you had any al- other kind of alternative print process that you wanted to pursue coming up. I, I do. Um, I, in fact, asked for a um, cyanotype kit for my birthday and it's now Christmas. My birthday's in July and it's now Christmas. Um, and so six months later, I've yet to actually do it. Uh, but yes, that is, uh, that is one of my, one of my plans. I, and I'm, I'm very interested. I think that cyanotypes are, are really beautiful. Um, and they can be done obviously in, in differing, varying, uh, degrees. If you leave it out, a very long time, the blue tends to go away. As I understand it, I'm I'm not experienced. I don't know. I've I've seen it some pretty old ones. And the other thing I've seen that I really like is that you can no. I th- it's the exposure time. The longer the exposure time is, the less blue. Oh, I see. So right. it's not the duration. Yeah. Of the age. So of the you print. want to make a really um, nice negative. So so a lot of people do it nowadays by by creating a digital negative and printing it out on a big giant. You know, and that get a really good strong tonal range that will you know come through with the relatively opaque blue but then i've also seen a really great thing where people that took that blue print and they just bleach it and then they soak it in tea like you know strong black tea oh yes and it it comes back the whole picture returns but with a deep brown color instead of blue and i really like that a lot i think it looks great okay I, that sounds like something that i would i would try yeah. um are you okay there? That sounded like you dropped something on your foot. No, I dropped a no? I dropped a pencil on the same table as this microphone is sitting on. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. I was thinking that perhaps maybe it was, um, you know, uh, an anvil, otherwise known as a Hasselblad, on your foot. No, sorry, an RB sixty seven. You would have heard a whimper if if yeah. I had done that. Okay, okay, that's that sounds good. Um, I'm very interested in. Uh, the idea of printing. Um, and in fact, I have, um, a student at school who came across, uh, a four by five color head printer, um, that he bought at a garage sale for like $7. Nice. Um, and he said, do you want it? <laughs> and I said, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> then I need a dark room, right? Okay. Um, so the, so the idea of being able to make prints in different ways, right. um, I think would be, would be great. Now, one of the things about that, one of the things about, um, uh, printing. Well, I was in a dark room. Yeah. Is as opposed to that. Well, a, a traditional black and white, uh, darkroom prints right. is that I, uh, I was not very good at printing in the darkroom and I was not very, uh, patient, uh, for printing in the darkroom mm-hmm. and the amount of money it costs, uh, per print in test prints, um, that is something that, you know, I used to have the, the joke as I was throwing away a test print, I used to have the joke of, you know, good thing this stuff's cheap, you know, just kind of the gallows humor kind of thing. And, um, 
and maybe now I have the money to do it, you know, that, so yeah. maybe I don't have to, to have that anxiety. Well, since, since I uh, did my sh- mediocre darkroom work long, long ago, I've read some things and I now know some of the mistakes I was making, you know? So, sure. you know, I bet you did what most people did and I did, which was do a test strip where you just, you used kind of arithmetic progression of 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 60 seconds, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, some I just recently saw an article that pointed out that that doesn't make any sense since the exposure scale is a geometric progression and it stops double. It's a doubling each time. It, it isn't an even increment. So they gave examples of, you know, time sequences that gave you doublings and were more able to capture the range of tonality quickly with a test print. They work a lot better. So there's stuff that I was just oh, doing wrong, yeah. you know, that you could do better if you knew what you were doing. So, sure, sure, that would be that would be one thing. Um, and but I it, the tonality of the print was not the biggest factor that really, um, you know, that 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 hindered me. One of the, one of the things that just drove me absolutely batty um, was dust on the negative, and the idea that. Um, you know, uh, if, if you get a dusty negative, you have to go in with a triple lot brush and, and, um, the, the toning, um, I forget what it was, spot, spot tone, um, and, you know, make those little dots and make the, you know. Yeah, you, but nowadays me, it's better. Uh, a lot of people are going the other way and they're, they're getting, they're saving up dust in matchbooks so they can sprinkle it on their film. <laughs> So that they can prove it's an analog print, yeah, right? Yeah, it gives it that extra texture. I mean, I, I'm starting to drift in that direction too. So, you know, I, I can see that. That's one thing. Um, one of, uh, you know, I'm I'm also interested in, uh, not so much in inkjet um, uh, prints. Uh, sorry, Trudy behind me is getting her nightly little uh, bowl of water before she goes to bed. So... If you can hear Trudy. No, I would have just assumed it was there she you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Exactly. I'm getting my nightly bowl of water. Um, the, you know, I'm interested in like the archival stability of anything that I were to put out as a print. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, inkjet is always questionable. Now, uh, at at school, we have this uh Epson 6000 printer and Epson 8000 printer the 6000 is a 24 inch wide printer and the 8000 is a 40 inch wide printer if those are or if those 48. are real pigment printers they're probably actually going to last a long time yeah, my, yeah. My complaint, well, that was where i was going my complaint with the digital i have a really good printer it's high quality it's not professional but it's the next best thing and uh-huh. it's it's good i like the prints a lot they're nowhere near as good as a really good, you know, real darkroom color print or, or even uh, black right. and white for that matter. They're, they just don't have that magic extra depth. They just don't have it. They're good and I like them, but something else It's different. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I print the prints that you got, uh, were from, oh boy, it was one of the big, um, uh, you know, national, uh, picture printers, orange snap 
snap something. Uh, I don't remember what it is. Hang on a second. I've got an app on my phone and it will tell me. Um, and it is, uh, Shutterfly. See, it was snap something. <laughs> um, so that was Shutterfly. Now Shutterfly, as I understand it, they are not doing an inkjet based, uh, printing system. They're doing a light based, um, you know, traditional RA4, um, uh, color photographic process. Using, you know, digital printing process, you know, digital internegative, shall we right. say. Um, and, uh, those, if it's RA4 paper and it's Kodak paper, uh, if it's RA4 Kodak paper, then, I mean, uh, let's not really worry a whole lot because that stuff has really proven itself, um, over time. So there is that, um, now, I haven't tried anything like salt prints um, or anything along those lines. Uh, there are, I'm kind of interested in the idea of a contact printer. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I really like so, that. So, create big negatives, yeah. digi- you know, start from whatever source, but create a big negative, print it yeah. out digitally, and then create a, a, a traditional analog print of some kind. Just as a contact right. print, you, you know, the whole kit could go under your mattress. Like it doesn't take up any space, and uh, right, you, it it's pretty foolproof too, in a way. I mean, once you've got a system, um, the times are long and the exposures are long, so you know it isn't some critical thing, right? Yeah. And even you know something that was like if you were doing, um, you know, uh, if you have a four by five camera and you're doing four by five or five by seven contact prints um then you know i mean obviously the quality is about as high as you can get in the world um the the, um and it is something that you could really do in even the smallest bathroom yeah and you can you can Uh, create you know an eight by ten that's really nice too i mean or even bigger yes um yeah. The printer I have could go, I don't know, 11 by 19 or something like, or no bigger than that, 13. It's big. You could make a pretty big negative. And then the only thing, hold it, yeah, the oh, only thing uh, holding you back yeah. is your paper size. But if, if you make the print paper yourself, that's what a lot of the alternative process lets you do. Take a nice piece of paper, sure. and, you know, make it light sensitive. Then you can do those large sizes, and that's kind of cool. One of the things that I like about those, um, you know, using paper that is not, um, you know, Ilford multi-grade, you know, even fiber-based paper, um, the idea of being able to take Arches or uh, Reeves BFK or, uh, you know, something along those lines and making it into a nice print based on, uh, you know, liquid emulsion and, um, uh, and a contact print. Um, that, that really, that really does it for me. That, that's, um, that's the type of thing I would like to do. Uh, part of the deal, part of the reason why is then every one of those individuals is a unique item as opposed to, uh, well, I guess, Every print that you would print, um, you know, even if you're doing multiple prints on RC paper, you know, each one is a unique item. But if you're painting it on, there are visual differences. 
Um, you know, so that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, are you, uh, uh, um, were you thinking of something in particular? No, um, I was just curious if there was something you know, that you were looking at doing and, uh, you know yeah. what it was. And I like the same idea. I think, I think it'd be really fun to make prints with that kind of direct, direct process. I've seen some sure. that I really liked. So, yeah. Many or what? What examples of cameras you've built in the last year or so, or at least since we got going on this podcast, uh, that you you feel are successful? That you like how they came out? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, there are a bunch of successful ones. Um, uh, every one of them, I will say, is a marginal success. Every one of them is a success with caveats. Um, but then again, every camera that I own is yeah. successful with cameras, exactly right? right. Um, so um, I you know the first one that I I think um the first one I would would talk about would be the sixty three. Now the sixty three is the six by three centimeter. Uh, it uh, shoots uh one twenty film. And, um, right. It had had the infernal cross-eyed, uh, red window system. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Um, now, uh, part of the, it, and it uses, um, a 65 millimeter Schneider Kreuznach, uh, super angulon and, or was it, and an F8 version. Or was it, I think mine was a 90 that you sent me, but I I might be wrong. Right. Well, it was because you didn't have the 65. Right, right, right. Um, you had a 65, but it was in a different, um, uh, configuration. So, uh, so I had to, uh, yeah, so I did a, uh, a cone for the 90. Um, now, um, it was successful, uh, in that, in fact, I, uh, in that it got a very good image quality. I thought um, it went through several iterations. I was having trouble with the film advance and I kind of solved the film advance. Um, it could be better. Um, but the, um, it, it went through uh, several early iterations, but I got one that finally kept the film perfectly flat. Uh, it gave me a, you know, a good rectangle. It advanced a proper amount and a predictable amount. And, uh, I just took it to North Carolina in October and I shot with it and, uh, and I just realized that it, you know, okay. So a great images, I just developed that film, great images. Uh, I love that part of it, but it's really unusable because the, it uses the number, the backing paper numbers, but it uses the the six by six twice, mm-hmm. so I have to look down one angle to see it uh, the first time, and then down another angle to see it the second time. And those holes, they're tunnels basically, are so small 
that essentially you have to turn it so that the sunlight directly goes down that shaft to see the numbers, (laughs) which kind of defeats some of the, some of the, uh, you know, purpose there. Now I haven't had light leaks. Uh, so the rest of it's all well put together from, from that point of view. Uh, it, you know, I'm putting light down those shafts. Um, but it is, um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm basically what I'm doing is I'm taking the same concept, but I'm redesigning it, um, into an L shaped camera. So one of the rolls of film will be directly behind the, um, the film gate Mm -hmm. and the other roll of film will go straight out to the side and it will be part of a handle system. Um, and that will open up the back area so that I can put in a much better window. Um, and that, um, that will help, um, I, I think that that'll, uh, help that design quite a bit. So I, but I think it was successful, um, in its basic, basic concept. Yeah. Um, now I, uh, it also was early on, it was, um, uh, early on in the 3d printing I was doing, and I've been 3d printing for a year. Uh, and so I had that pretty much done before the end of spring semester. So, um, you know, April, May. Right. Um, and, um, I've learned a lot since then. <laughs> so, uh, so, I mean, that, that's something to, to be redone. Well, I'm thinking um, from what you said, I think I'll yeah. tinker with mine and, and make it a little easier to move the film. And, and, a, and I bet I can just okay. do a little direct surgery on it and make it work a little easier and then run another yeah. roll through. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, I, I, but I'm gonna uh, going to redesign it, and it's not a dead system. It's just not. I'm not working on it currently. And I, I kind of uh, want to go the other way. So. I kind of want a, a a wider piece of the film rather than slicing it smaller. You know, that like in terms of in terms of what I want to uh, actually shoot. Well, uh, you know, part of part of what I was doing with that is you know going to the one to two. But not, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, with the height ratio, one to two, but, um, not going so far, um, you know, because that's a six by 12 image on 120 film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a six by 12 image, you know, you don't get that many per roll. And one of the things that's nice about the, uh, 63 is you get 12, you get, uh, sorry, you get, um, 23 images per roll. That last one, uh, the film, uh, doesn't quite lay flat. And there's certain circumstances um, where that would be a better, a better use of the film. But then there are also circumstances right. where just a few really giant pieces are more appealing. So it just, it's good to have. Sure. Be, be no, no, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm not, uh, I'm not abandoning any other, uh, of the sizes. Um, it's just that that's, uh, an easy one to use backing paper with. Um, now I can work, um, other systems. Um, the system that I'm using for the, um, Flexopan that we'll, we'll talk about later on is, um, you know, uh, it's the, a number of turns, um, of a very specifically sized cylinder. And that's how you 
you get the different sizes. You have different size cylinders. That's, you know, the different frame sizes. That's the flex and flex open. So I've had an, an the, idea about how you could do that. Well, um, uh, hang yeah, on, yeah. hang on one second. So if, if I were to come back to 120 film, um, I could, as long as I could do a pressure roller so it was consistent in its pressure, uh, you know, we could do six by eight. We could do six by 10. We could do anything like that. Now, the problem with, with those are, you know, six by 10 isn't, I forget exactly how many, uh, centimeters long a 120 roll is, but I don't think it comes out evenly. Yeah. You waste a little film. So yeah, right. Exactly. And you need, uh, you need a centimeter at least. Between, not a centimeter. What the? A millimeter is probably enough. No, yeah, no. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right. Um, You you need, uh, I don't know, three millimeters or four millimeters between frames to really separate them properly. Um, So, so that's, that's one of the considerations. And um, so, yeah, so that's something in the future. But you were going to say that there's a way to... Yeah, I just had another idea. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, and it occurred to me that you could create, you know, a a flexible belt with with, uh, the little holes that would give it the ability to run over sprockets that you would, you could then like set the film into the flexible belt and sort of clamp it in place or it could fold you could have it you know folding version you just be some way that you could move one frame you know precisely after the next with one, one right. film using so, your gear method yeah um if if that were the case were you thinking that it would be a smooth belt or would it be like a sprocketed, sprocketed. belt? The whole point would, okay. yeah, would be to make it sprocketed. Yeah. So that would be cruder, but but simpler to make it work. Yeah. You know, because like that's kind of my level of technology. Getting the roller pressure perfect, I don't know whether or not I can do that, you know? <laughs> right. But, but right. I do exactly. know I could probably figure out how to run some sort of flexible plastic belt, you know, past sprockets. And, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering how to build... Uh, or how to? It would be bulky. It would be bulky because you'd have to have really big spools, you know, to to wind it up. It would everything would right. Well, pop, but pop up. yeah. Well, I'm just uh, trying to figure out um, how how to uh, create sprocket sprockets on, you know, a rubber belt. Um, well, I'm thinking more of something that you could print. You could print out sections of this stuff. I'm sure there's a plastic that would work. Okay. Okay. Um, It's just one. It's just one idea. Um, Yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, if it's flexible, that's the big thing. Uh, But you know, there are new materials coming coming online all the time. The other thing that occurs to me is to is to treat with one twenty. If you're going to go with really wide panorama, maybe you should just make um, film backs that take a single piece and just cut your film up and you know in the darkroom and slide it into each length absolutely into its own holder and then just shoot as many or as few as you want and don't feel constrained by rolling and that gets all of that out of the equation you just put the right size back on and there you go you're done yeah the that that's the concept of um you know of the one shot camera right uh and the, it, you know it's ultimately flexible into any 
configuration that you're happy with. I just really, that's um, so simple. And I've been like struggling right. with ideas about how to build a fancy roll film back, but why not just cut the film up and put it into single holders? And then, and then right. you could just shoot right. yeah, one that... piece of, you know, expensive film. I don't just, I just happen to want to use one. You don't need to think about using up a whole roll. Yeah. yeah. And you, well, and the other thing is that um, you don't have to use film necessarily i mean paper right. is is ideal for that kind of yep. uh a camera yep. so uh so yeah absolutely you could you could do that um so uh the the other uh the next camera that i would say uh i was successful with is the 67 and the 67 is just basically a box to put on the front of um you know an rb67 uh film holder you know uh 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 you know a, a, a um uh what do we call them uh graph lock uh connecting um box right Both and um I yeah and design. so far yeah and so far i've just uh done it with pinhole and i've been successful uh with with the pinhole with that in fact i just recently uh developed a role and i have some um uh, so I have some pictures to put up, um, that I haven't yet, that, but they'll be coming out. Uh, or they're probably by the time you hear this, they, they're probably already in my feed. But, um, uh, so that, that I think worked. And, and the thing that's nice about that is that I, I you can, all you have to do is put a hole in that box and screw a lens on it, you know? Um, uh, all, all you have to do is, um, uh, you know, put a, you know, if you have a, a shuttered lens, uh, lens, you know, lens shutter, uh, system, then, um, you know, you're, you're, you're good to go, uh, with that. So, uh, I, I think it's a really modular system, uh, or really flexible. That's what I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. I really like using roll film backs. You just need one for each size, you know, six by six, six by seven, six by nine. And then right. you have sort of an infinite number of cameras that shoot those formats instead of being stuck with one system or yeah, they're, it's great. Right. So the, um, the, the next one is actually four cameras. Um, and uh, it, it it and they're the Franken cameras. They're the cameras that my first lensed cameras, and I built four of them at the beginning of this year, uh, towards the end of last year, at the beginning of this year. And uh, it's the Franken Bessa, uh, and the Franken Bessa is a an old folding. Uh, we talked about it in in one of our first couple episodes. Uh, but it's an old folding, uh, Bessa six by nine camera. And, um, I put a, um, I think that also had a 65 millimeter, uh, uh, Schneider Kreuznach super angulon. And, uh, that is, uh, that's a great camera that it is a great camera and I don't shoot it and enough. You, yeah. I, really I was kind of thinking that, enough. um, I sort of miss it. <laughs> yeah. Right. I need to, uh, yeah, I need to haul that out and, uh, and, and really have a bunch of fun shooting some stuff with that. Um, so, and then I had a Franken speed and that is a six by six and it was, uh, an Ansco speed X. And I, for, 
I think that is the one with the uh, 80 millimeter uh, lens that was a an uncoupled TLR um, lens. It was an uncoupled uh, Mamaya uh, C330 um, lens. And uh, it also had, then I also had a, a Franken Ulta, which is a Franken, uh, or which is uh, a Minolta semi which is a 645 and that i put on a what was that focal length uh i think it was a 50 millimeter uh tlr lens um another uh tlr lens um and then um i had the frankenobia uh which is a zenobia um (laughs) And I don't remember what the lens is on that, and it's it's deep in there. I'll uh, I'll have to drag that out at another time. So uh, it was it was those four Franken cameras uh, that I had a lot of fun with, um, and I've uh, there was the 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 Franken speed I tore apart uh, because I uh, it had uh, light leak issues and it uh, and it also had a lens. Oh, I know. Um, the Franken speed had a non super angulon uh ninety millimeter that has haze. So um I have uh um taken that apart and um I was gonna repurpose the lens and what I really did was repurpose the uh helical from it. Um so so that one's now uh a, a camera of the past. It's because you, you so, have like a scrapyard with these poor. I old do. I dissected yeah, and, robot. And my friends. wife is really happy about all of that. <laughs> um, so uh, another um, uh, thing that I've done recently, um, and it's and it's really one of my favorite things that I've done this year, and that is the uh, the Lumen Box, uh, which is the direct to paper lensed camera um it was a it's a lens camera with an m39 um hole and i just screw on various lenses um and go out and expose um uh printing paper and um right now part of the deal is it's a four by five so uh and i have five by seven paper so i have to cut it down um I have a, a a lens that covers uh six by seven on it. So it's vignetted uh, and it comes in a, as a circular vin, vignetted image, which I think is, is great. But um, I need to pair that or I need to scale that down so that I have a six by seven box and six by seven paper. Um, that's the, um, uh, yeah, that's the future of that one. Uh, and I think that uh, it, it gets really fun quality. And the other thing is that I need to wear gloves putting the paper in the box because I keep getting fingerprints uh, across it. Uh, and that negatively affects the image considerably. So, so what's the cure? Is it gloves or little tongs? or? No, no, this is this is putting it in there. So I'm not going to put it in the box, in, in, in the camera with tongs. 
So it is definitely gloves. I, I, I and I have gloves. I, I just have chosen not to do it because, you know, for one thing, it's a really degraded, low quality, low res, down the fidelity curve, um, uh, like, image. Or, yeah, know, I actually uh, thought media. those fingerprints look pretty good on some of those shots. Yeah. yeah, and so and so, I think it's I think it's okay. I don't think it really ruins anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it could be a little bit nicer. You know, it's hands, uh, it's so. hands-on photography. Right. So for my last camera in, uh, that, that, you know, uh, I, that I wanted to talk about today, the last camera is the, the, the recent one that I've been on about, which is the 24 squared pinhole camera. Um, since our last episode or since our last recording, I should say, um, uh, just before Christmas, uh, I sold them on Etsy and in seven days I sold seven cameras. So, uh, I considered that a pretty good success. Yeah. And, um, and so I have, uh, set up another batch, actually two more batches. And here's, here's the concept. I just want to really kind of clarify the the marketing sales end of it, uh, as opposed to the, well, it has to do with the, with the design and production and all that type of stuff. But, um, it, the idea is that this is all small batch. Um, so the first batch of cameras had a, um, uh, first batch of seven cameras were orange and black. And, um, I have two more batches coming. One of them is going to be black and gray, and then I'll have a, a black and blue batch that are coming in. There are also going to be some changes in the actual design of the item. Uh, I've moved the um, the tripod socket um, and made the tripod socket deeper because I got a feedback that, that there wasn't enough headroom above the nut uh, for the tripod to, um, to attach. If you have a very long tripod, uh, bolt, it's not going to, uh, there wasn't enough headroom for it to, uh, to, it would sit above the level of the bed of the, you know, of, of the device. So, um, the, um, uh, so that's one of the things, uh, we made some adjustments, um, to, uh, the, where the, the film canisters hold the film so that the, uh, so that the film will sit a little bit deeper in, uh, in the camera because it was, uh, the images were coming right up at the sprocket level and the sprockets were kind of getting in the way. So we made some changes there. Uh, I made, uh, a change so that there's a, a place for rubber bands to, if, uh, you know, to just as a, as a security, um, I think, to keep the I rubber bands cameras should, or to keep yeah, the I think, lids. I think more cameras should come with a rubber band compartment. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And this is, this is just a little, uh, depression, um, so that, it, so that you, it'll sit flat on the ground or sit flat on a table or something like that if it has a rubber band around it. Um, so, uh, so that was a, a, a change and I'm making a, a change in, um, a secondary pinhole. 
it it comes with um with a uh a um pin you know it, it comes with a a point one zero millimeter pinhole a tenth of a millimeter pinhole um and it has a a short uh roughly twenty three millimeter equivalent um uh focal length uh lens distance uh or field of view um but uh i'm going to i'm uh including a second one that'll have about uh a thirty eight to forty uh millimeter um uh field of view so uh and that is uh that will be on that um second um uh, or that'll be included in the package with this next one. So, sounds, so sounds we good. will, um, yeah. I, so so I, I just want to ask you a couple things because it sounds like a really fun yeah. camera to me. It's shooting square yeah. on one thirty five format. So it is, which, which with a pinhole camera in a way is a real advantage because now you can use a really short focal length and a, a relatively small pinhole and still have reasonably fast times. Right. And so that right. makes it a much more of a kind of easy to shoot quick and casual. And it's also, I guess, very pocket size. So that's uh, right. Seems right. like a, exactly. really fun to use. Yeah. And, um, uh, and it, it, um, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the idea. And it gives an image size and shape that is unique to it pretty much. Now there are a few, there have been historically a few square cameras that'll shoot, or a few cameras that'll shoot a square image on a 35 millimeter. I think actually, uh, um, film. Yeah, there, I think, I don't remember what the shape was, but I think you could get an adapter for a Rolleiflex so that it would shoot 35, but I bet it shot the normal 35 frame. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. or, or like the 635, right. um, uh, there's Yashica, there's Minolta. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, the Yashica uh, 635. Um, and so, so this was, was part of what I really wanted to, uh, wanted to do. And I wanted to experiment in seeing whether or not we could, whether or not I could sell in a reasonable amount of time uh, a batch of cameras. So, um, so I have, uh, so that actually has proven out, um, uh, uh, um, and, um, uh, and I will continue to sell them. Uh, so one of the things that I had uh, a difficulty, well, I had a, uh, a, a philosophical difficulty or, um, I, because, uh, when I, I sold a camera to, um, the first, um, user, uh, and he goes by, uh, delusions of competence. Is that right? Nice. Yeah. Uh, on Instagram. Oh my God. I better make sure that that is right because he was my first, um, uh, is there a door prize for being the first customer? Yes, my <laughs> eternal gratitude. <laughs> Delusions uh, underscore of underscore competence. Yeah, and he's a guy named Dale, and um, it, it it you know I shipped to England, and the part that I had not considered 
was that he was going to have import duties and it just didn't even consider, uh, I didn't, I, okay. In the future, I will warn people on Etsy. If you buy into, you know, in foreign lands, you may have import duties and, uh, it's, it's good to know. Now I have an idea of what the price, what the cost is. Uh, but I wasn't expecting that. So, um, hopefully I'm, uh, I'm working, uh, to try to get, um, European distribution and, uh, well, it's UK based distribution. So I hope there's still in, in some sort of Europe, uh, for a while, at least to, you know, so, uh, you know, if it goes to France or Germany or any other place, um, then, uh, the, the shipping will be cheaper at least. So I hope there isn't additional duties, but we'll find that out. So, uh, so anyway, I, I, I was really happy with the result of that. And the result has, um, pushed me to continue. So, yeah, that's great. Um, so, so that's it. So that's what I'm, I'm planning to do, um, so. Well, I'm I'm really sort of sold myself one of these things. I think it sounds like a really, a lot of fun and I'd like, I definitely want to shoot one. So. Okay. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get you one from this next batch. No, I can be, Um, I can be a regular customer. You don't have to. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll trade you for a, um, uh, Fuji X. E2. Oh, that sounds about the equal and, value. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. yeah. Well, think of think of it this way: there won't be any um, uh, there won't be any uh, duties, uh, right? And your if we trade and your camera doesn't right. need batteries. I mean, it's you know it doesn't need batteries. <laughs> it will survive the post apocalypse. Well, <laughs> yeah, about that. Oh, it might melt in the post-apocalypse. There is that. It will survive an electromagnetic pulse. That's true. Yeah. So I was just thinking about that. Uh, I had um, the aforementioned Fuji XE2. I'm borrowing Nick's camera as as part of the deal. Um, And uh, I had that in my car. And I had a... What was the other camera? Oh, I had uh, my... Um, R3M, uh, my, uh, Cosina, Cosina Voigtlander R3M. And, um, then I had a Holga and I was pretty sure two of them would make it through, uh, an electromagnetic pulse. One would lose its meter and that was not the Holga. Um, uh, but I'm pretty sure that the Fuji would not make it through. Well, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You never do, right? Mm-mm. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's, that's my list of things that I thought were successful in this past year. Um, what did you, what were, what was it that you worked on? Well, I actually have a pretty long list of things to less, fewer cameras built from scratch. I'm more in the Franken camera vein myself and uh what i have those count but some of them some of them are pretty much from you know from the bottom up even though i usually use a lot of materials that came from other cameras but uh the first i don't know what order i made them in i can't really remember because some of these i've been working on for you know a couple of years and others were done hastily but there was the conversion of an old 
broken crown graphic that a friend gave me that I made it into a field camera so it had much more extensive movements and it works with four by five or roll film back uh and that that actually came out pretty good and i've used it and it works so that was a success um and i've played around with different configurations of the mercury which is sort of this you know camera lego set uh that allows you to try a lot of different combinations of lenses and backs and fronts and I found some versions of that basically settled on a couple that I really like. So, um, and in, in probably will just permanently keep them in that configuration. Uh, yeah. And then I took that broken Hasselblad and made it into a pinhole camera. <laughs> and then eventually have you, was able to get a, uh, a lens version of it too. Have you, um, uh, have you developed that film? Have you so I, I, uh, had a chance yeah, to look I at it? I took the film in to a local shop that's a little slow to get things developed. And so it's been about a week. So I'm expecting it any day in the mail. Okay. And I'm, I'm okay. actually thinking that might came out pretty well because I, I paid attention and I wrote myself, you know, instructions and I went down to the beach and I shot a bunch of different, uh, really different lengths of exposure kind of, uh, bracketing, um, in a, in a really interesting sunset with pinhole and that I think might actually be kind of cool. We'll see. And uh, I look forward to, to seeing those. Yeah. Um, so have you, uh, what about the, um, uh, the crown graphic? Did you, uh, did you shoot much with that? Well, I, I used it quite a bit early on. Um, but that was, mm-hmm. a, you know, that's an original unchanged camera, just the way my dad bought it in the fifties. And, uh, that's so I don't, you know, they don't consider it a build, but yeah, I did use it. I lo- it's yeah. still one of the best cameras I have. It's a great camera. And th- okay. so then let's see. So I did a lot of experimental uh, lens swapping, and I, I got really um, very pleased with putting Mamiya 645 lenses on to uh, 35 millimeter film cameras. They are really great. I have a couple adapters so I can use them on a Nikon and Pentax K1000 body. So these solid metal cameras that can take the extra kind of bulky lens and, but they're not that big. You know, those Mamiya lenses are only a little bit oversized on those cameras and you're getting the very sharpest middle of a very sharp lens. And they really, it makes a very noticeable difference whether you're using them on digital or film cameras. Uh, they're great lenses and they're much, much cheaper than the equivalent. So, you know, an 80 millimeter is just a normal lens on that camera and they're, they're common and especially the smaller one. And, uh, they're not, you know, they're, they're very inexpensive, but I think they're as good or better than any of the fancy 85 millimeter lenses that they make for those cameras. I think they're great. So that was what, um, okay. So the, the difference in the quality of those lenses versus say, um, I, I, uh, alert, uh, a, um, purpose four by five lens. What, uh, is it, is it comparable in, in the quality image quality and it's different, what, you know, it's different. It's hard to compare those okay. things because the lens designs are yeah. quite different and they have different advantages and disadvantages. So it's one of those things that we're comparing. It comes in the end down to your taste and your, and what, right. you, you know, what you're using. Um, but, but these lenses are a really high quality for a low price when you're using them on a small camera, like a 35 millimeter. So that's what was kind of fun about that. Um, 
And it's also, you don't have to own as many if you can use them on a wider variety of cameras. So sure. Absolutely. Figure that out. Absolutely. And so, Oh, I did some other experiments like that, putting big single lens reflex lenses on rangefinder bodies and finding out that they work quite well. Um, so that was fun. And, and in that case, are you scale focusing with this? Yeah, but if you put a you know twenty four millimeter SLR lens, is it's ridiculously easy to scale focus. I mean, even at f eight, I think everything's in focus from about eight feet right. out. So right. it's it's uh, trivial. It's easy to do. And it, it turned out that the the uh, viewfinder that I use for wide angle lenses, it has a huge field of view, and you can see the top of the lens when you're looking through. The viewfinder so you don't even have to take your eye away to focus you can just see directly down through this thing perfectly clear even though i'm you know fairly farsighted it, it, i can see fine through this thing it's oh. really kind of nice cool uh, so those are just discoveries and um i did graft a, an old bessa lens similar to the camera that you your franken bessa well i took a lens off the pretty much the same model and put it on a, a lomography uh, panoramic camera that I have. Oh, that's that right. I yeah. never was that thrilled with the lenses that came with it, but um, this is a kind of a funky old glass lens. It has an, an, a lot of character, and I liked w what it did. And this is on a very, very, very wide 135 panorama format, which is almost too wide, but kind of fun. And then I converted uh, an RB67 roll film back into a panoramic 135 format back so it takes regular 135 film and it's the same proportions as the x pan so the pretty wide i don't know if it's two to one but it's it's maybe a little shorter than that but it's still a nice wide panorama um, and that's really really fun it, i was very pleased with the results that came out of that that it's much more medium format than you expect just by doubling the size or making it almost twice as long there's a lot more information there and it, it makes a really nice uh image so let's let's talk one uh before we go on to the next section let's talk about one other aspect of uh of what we've got going on here uh, we're talking about the uh, the successful builds let's talk about the unsuccessful builds um uh what did you hmm. i'm not going to admit unsuccessful i'm not going with? to admit to unsuccessful but uh there are ones that have been set on the way 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 on the very back burner for an indefinite period of time <laughs> that could be longer than the rest so of in my other life words, <laughs> so in other words they've fa they've fallen down back behind the stove right right and uh right. and they're kind of seeping across the and floor there's like a mold growing and getting on them sticky. And, right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so so uh yeah, yeah. well so, so your... i'm i'm not ready to to admit defeat in the uh in the uh the trash can or not the trash cam the what was the what was the scammers, scammers. the scammer challenge i'm not admitting defeat i still have that in process um, but i just it just hasn't okay. been inspiring and i've been super busy so I, that's still sitting there but it's not all the way behind the stove. It's still on a, it's on an actual back burner that one. Okay, at this point Nick, I'm going to call you a fool, but that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> that's okay. I've been called worse. And yeah, another one I have half finished is I I had that old Fuji I had that old Fuji that I 
uh, got really you know broken one for peanuts and i took the whole front standard off and the focusing rails and i'm planning to base the camera on that and actually that one i've started up work on again and i found i found a two by three graph lock back for it that i'm going to put on there and i'm going to try and make it as short as possible and the reason is because i found what's sort of missing in all these ramshackle cameras i've just listed is a way to use really wide lenses with you know so 120 film i have a 65 millimeter lens and a 50 millimeter lens and those are pretty wide and you want to get them close to the film and a lot of cameras I have are too long and they're not easy to use uh, with, you know, the film and lens really close together. So that's my goal is to make this so it, you know, can squish flat up again, right up against the film. <laughs> and does it, um, uh, does the film advance work smoothly on that? Well, this will, this that... will be a graph lock back. Um, so I have, I have oh, excellent yeah. okay. old film backs okay. that, that work great. You know, they're just lever advanced. Okay. I've just decided but, only get the lever advanced ones. They're newer and they work better and the film's flatter and right. they're easy to use. You right. don't get confused. They work well. All right. Uh, well, one of the things that I'm going to say is less successful um, was, of course, my Scamera. Uh, my Scamera attempt at rebuilding uh, after... Um, uh, what do we want to call it? Uh, after vivisecting it, disassembly. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it screamed while it was on the table. Um, the uh, uh, it, it yeah. Um, I I I got one shot in there that I thought was pretty nice for um for the uh, cheap shots challenge on the Sunny 16 podcast, but it didn't even make the final cut. Well, so part part of the problem with mine was that I really liked the pictures that came out of it, and I, yeah. I, I don't really want to screw it up. And in a way, though, that that is a success because I basically just con- I, I just ca- contradicted the earlier diagnosis, although maybe I just had a better camera because I'm not sure the ones that Graham was looking at were anywhere near as uh, horrible. Yeah. I mean, were you know were much more horrible than the one that I ended up with. Yeah. yeah, I I you know I can't imagine that the quality was a huge difference. Um, yeah, in the quality of the image, it was a huge difference. Uh, scammer to scammer, um, uh, it just seems to me like it it would be, um, uh, yeah, the, that it would be pretty pretty much the same since as we took them apart it was pretty obvious that they were uh you know pretty consistent in their components well you, there were two so, different types though there, there was the the nikonon ones which were with a little thumb wheel advanced film advance and had right. kind of a they were they had they were like a fake rangefinder except they also had a prism hump which was one of the things i liked about it it had a fake rangefinder window and yeah. a fake prism hump so it was it was, it was actually a drawing or a design that someone came up with from scratch because it's an impossible camera that doesn't exist. And I thought that's kind of cool too, you know? Right. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, uh, but the, you know, like the curved film plane looked pretty consistent across the multiple versions. Oh, so the, was it curved film plane, even on that puffy SLR copy one that you had? Yes. Oh, it had that same yes. internal structure then. Okay. Right. Right. 
So, um, yeah, so, so there was, there was that, um, I, I made it a, uh, in fact, my first 3d printed camera was a six by, I think it was six by 12. I don't really remember. Um, and I, you know, and I stuck one of those, uh, 90 millimeter super angulons on it. Um, actually, I think I put a Fuji lens on, uh, on that camera and it, um, uh, it, it, it had some light leaks, but it was, um, it was not, um, yeah, it, it was not easy to, to run, shall we say. And, uh, I think I could rebuild it. I just haven't yet. And I decided to go the, um, the six by three route rather than the six by 12 route. Mm-hmm. So, so that was a less, uh, less than successful one. And I've done quite a few other little projects that have been less than successful and I've promptly forgotten them. So well, the other thing that I did this I, year I that I'm pretty excited about is I actually did some successful repairs, um, but I also did botched some as well. So, uh, but you know, <laughs> that's how you learn. And so start out with crummy stuff that you don't mind ruining and, and work your way up. But actually I did, uh, I got two shutters running, uh, well that weren't running well, you know, but well before, and that was exciting. Uh, because there, you can also f- often find really nice old stuff that people that don't want much money for because the shutter isn't working, and being able to fix fix them some of the time is was very. I felt uh, kind of proud of that, and uh, yeah. So that was that was, and then I, then I had some lenses that I'll never be reassembling. <laughs> you know, it's too hard. Absolutely. It's too easy to lose track in, in the middle of some of those. Mm. Yeah. So, um, uh, so yeah, so I, I think we've, I think we've covered it. That was, uh, for, for the last year, uh, year, maybe a little bit plus, um, we actually had quite a few successes. Now, one of the, you know, we kind of glossed over at the end, you know, the, the less than successful ones, but you know what, that's part of the process. Um, you know, you, you design once. Um, then you design again and then you design and then you refine the design and, uh, you go back and, you know, uh, that didn't work. So let's try this. You know what I'm discovering? Um, So the failures are successes all all the same. Well, I'm discovering is that they all take decent pictures, but some of them are fun to use and some of them are not. And that turns out to be what matters. (laughs) Some of them, some of them tell you to pick them up. And some of them don't, right? right. Um, and that's, uh, that's, I think, uh, that's a factor of a camera that we, I think that we need to pay more attention to it. Mm-hmm. And it can be, you know, uh, I was looking at, oh no, now I can't remember, um, is it a, t- uh, one of the, one of the Instagram, uh, people that I've, follow English um Alex Yates maybe no I don't know um anyway uh he was building a camera and wrapping it with fabric building a pinhole camera and wrapping that with fabric and I thought about the idea I'm building these these 3D printed plastic cameras and I kept thinking when I was looking at that, there's no reason why 
you know, I can't use wallpaper. Uh, there's no reason why I can't use fabric. There's no reason why I can't wrap these things and give a fun surface that is different from your standard 3D printed. Hmm. I you know. think you could crochet a little cozy for your camera too. I, I'm sorry. I'm macrame. I don't crochet. <laughs> I think these are all really good ideas. In fact, that was one of my my plans for this camera was just to yeah. dress it dress it up yeah. with a nice fur coat. Uh, right. So uh, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll go back through my Instagram and I'll have the right person in the show notes. So there, you know, look at the show notes and you'll hopefully I'll have a, have a link to the actual. Um, photographs of them. So, so yeah, that's um, uh, that's one of our items for the future. So, Nick, what do you? What do you plan for the new year? What's your, what's on your agenda uh, besides working uh, twenty four hours a day? Um, yeah, so yeah, what's so what's your agenda? I'm kind of busy right now. I do have a big long list um, of cameras I want to build someday, or, or at least at the moment, I think I might want to build someday. But all all that I'm actually looking at right now, um, on the short term, is that I I know I want some sort of 120 format field camera that is short and can use these couple of short lenses that I have. Um, so, but we'll also provide some movements and adjustments and some extra, you know, f- extra fun games. What are those focal lengths that you're talking uh, about that are short? <clears throat> well, uh, 65 and 50 millimeter. And, uh, okay. And a lot of cameras are, even if they can, like the crown graphic can handle the 65, but it's compressed all the way back up inside the box. It's awkward. Uh, there are no movements left at all because you have to use them to just get you know the the bed out of the way uh, so that it doesn't get into the picture and so you know it's kind of limiting and it would be fun to have a, a small camera and it just means getting the film really close to the lens you just i just have to uh and i'm i've got a couple ideas but the easy one is just going to be the one i discussed earlier using the the old fuji parts and uh, putting a graph lock back on and a short bellows so that'll be the first thing and that's something i definitely want to do and it won't be hard and the other thing though is we were talking earlier about uh using big pieces of paper for paper negatives or alternative process uh and i'm really interested in just being able to start shooting on big pieces of paper and and just for fun, just to get trying it. And, uh, that basically just means a big box shaped camera and probably a pinhole lens at this point. Uh, although it'd be interesting to see how big of an image circle I could get off a couple of old large format lenses. Maybe it's bigger than I imagine, but anyway, uh, some, a way to play with, you know, big format, uh, just a simple box at this point. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, how big a format are you thinking? Are you thinking eight by ten? Are you thinking, yeah, eight by ten? I don't know, eleven by. 14, well, at the moment, I have like a box of old eight by ten paper, so that's where I'd start. Yeah, right. absolutely, absolutely. Now, were you uh, um, were you thinking about doing a lumen box, any of that type of thing? Oh yeah, I definitely uh, want to try that. If you're shooting onto paper, yeah. no, I would, I yeah. want to try that for sure. I mean, what you know, what can I lose? I have no idea how sensitive this stuff is anyway, so. 
Might as, might yeah. as well try it out. No, that's very appealing to me. Right. I have a hard time picturing it too. I'm really interested in that. So let 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 me tell let me um, say something about the the Lumen Box concept. Um, there are um, a couple of different w- ways of going about it. Um, one of the ways um, is to just shoot onto plain old um, right out of the box photo paper, uh, you know, darkroom printing paper. Mm-hmm. And um, then there's another way. Something that you can do is wet the paper. Now, if you wet the paper, you greatly reduce the time that it takes for the image to um, realize. I don't know, to to uh, emerge on the paper. But um, then you're putting a wet piece of paper on your scanner or you're taking a photograph. And it's there's another, you know big problem with that and what, um, it, i don't think that's necessarily a problem with a photograph although you're, you're saying maybe it'd be shiny like you'd have reflections well yeah, it might be hard to get yeah. lit. it might be hard to get it lit yeah yeah that that's the problem that i had so far. i wonder uh, what about if you tried it on a light box or light table well but you don't want light no but because no but just for the photograph to develop so so you can set up a camera and have it focused on the on a piece of paper on a light table, get everything ready, right? You just flick it on, take the picture, turn it back off. So, oh, but, I see it, but what, what I'm saying is if yeah. you backlit it, you would get rid of the reflection issue. Um, and that's what I do when I photograph a negative. Um, yeah. It might, might um, work. I don't know. Yeah. That, that is something that that's something to try out so far. I've been scanning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and but doesn't that kind of cook it? It does. It does. You can usually get two or three. Now, I threw a couple uh, in the garbage can right next to my desk. And I'm going to reach down and pull, pull them out. And um, you can still see images on them. Uh, now, I don't know how long these will last. But, um, yeah, you can still see images on these things. Uh, so, uh, I don't know if I could get a scannable, uh, image, but, uh, it's something, it's something to, to be well, done. Just don't, so, em- don't empty that wastebasket for 20 years and we'll see, you know, how it holds up. Oh, what the archival stability right. is when kept in a waste, ba- a waste paper basket next to my desk in, Florida, right. in air conditioned right. dimly lit yeah indoor temperatures there we go um what do you have anything else um that you're planning on doing uh that you have have on the uh back burners that you want to move to the front burners before they fall down well i'm do- the back of the I'm, stove i'm actually pretty happy with some of the the con- cameras i'm working okay. with and i kind of just want to tinker and refine uh Sure. And sure. The, the the more exciting things that I'd want to do someday are kind of uh, ambitious for how much else I have to do right now. So, uh, yeah, I, as I mentioned right. earlier, I think I'm going to fool around a lot with cardboard and tape and just like play cameras uh, that are easy to make quickly rather than then embark on a you know, big elaborate process and keep tinkering I, with I fully support with the, the ones that are getting pretty good. Like, all right, well, why not figure out how to make them better? Like the field camera. Um, it works. It's fully functional, but 
there's some things I can do to make it work better. And especially if I come up with an alternative for wide lenses, then I'll just stop with the compromising and make that one be for longer lenses and just set it up that way. Um, cause a lot of these things, if you, the more things you ask of them, the harder it is to get them to do it well, you know? <laughs> what I have coming up for the, for the new years, I have several projects. I'm going to continue developing the, um, 24 squared, uh, making improvements as I get feedback. Um, thank you very much. Um, uh, to Andrew Bartram and, uh, Corey Cannon, both of the Lensless podcast. I each, I sent them each one of the, uh, 24 squared cameras and, uh, I got feedback and, uh, Andrew was the one who pointed out the issue with the, um, tripod socket, um, that will be, um, uh, you know, fixed in, in this next set. Uh, of, uh, of cameras that'll be coming out, uh, mid January, uh, is what I'll, uh, what I'll probably, uh, have them up, uh, ready to go uh, mid January. Uh, and they'll be on my Etsy page and I will put my Etsy page in the notes, uh, for people. So, um, the other thing, uh, the other things I'm, I, I'm going to continue developing the FlexoPan. Um, I've continued, studying the software, the CAD software that, um, uh, that I'm, uh, uh, working with. Um, I, I need to, as I said before, I need to learn it better. Um, and, uh, once I, you know, take the time and, and really learn it, uh, I think I'll be much better off and ready to do, to create the FlexoPan, to realize the FlexoPan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to take the 24 squared and, um, uh, I don't know what to call it. The 24 squared squared. Um, so, and the idea of this is a 24 by 48 pinhole. Um, so it's a two to one, uh, size, which I think is, uh, you know, interesting. And it's, you know, panoramic, um, on a 35 millimeter frame. I re- yeah. I, I really uh, like that proportion a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that'll be something, um, and I'm not, I I don't think I'm going to just stretch out the current model. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I, I I haven't really thought through it, but that's, I do think you want to keep a fairly wide angle, uh, uh, field of view. So keep it fairly short because what I've found working with this, the pano back that I have for 35 millimeter is that it uh-huh. really, really likes the wider lenses. The, the wider, the better. Because what happens is then you can get right up close to something and that closeness can spread out all the way across the panorama and, and it, it really gives it a lot of interest. And then the background just sort of recedes right. and it's far away. So it, I don't know. I, I think it, it's a, it's especially also you, you can, you get the, the benefit of the extra width as well. Um, really like really right. counts. I don't know. I think it's, uh, so it doesn't, it never looks yeah. cropped. It just looks panoramic <laughs> with wide. Right, and it's, right, I think it's harder exactly. to, to get that ex, sort of yeah. exciting feeling with a longer focal lengths. Part of the deal with, um, with that size, uh, I'm, we're going to get strong vignetting across 24 by 48. Um, and the closer, the shorter the, uh, the focal length, um, the 
more vignetting you're going to get. Right. So you have to find a compromise um, then. Yeah. Right. And and that's and that's really something that I'm going to have to to work with. I'm going to have to experiment with a couple of different uh uh combinations of pinhole size and well, and because I don't want to curve well, back. That's ex- I'm I'm not so that's you don't want to do that. I understand that it it for especially for a small camera. But I I wanted to say that um that's one of the reasons I wanted to make this field camera that you can get the film almost right up against the lens board because that's one of the uses. I can try different pinholes at different focal lengths and see what worked right. with different film backs on it. You know, so you could sure. put the one thirty five film back on there and. I'm really, yeah, I'm really focused on sticking with this whole graph lock standard thing. I think it's, uh, I think it's really efficient and really fun. So one of the other things I want to work on is not so much a camera, but a camera component. And that's a ratcheting film advance. Um, right now I just have, you know, like a direct connect knob directly connects to it. Uh, and it spins both ways. And, um, it, it, that works for pinhole. I'm not sure it is as advantageous for, um, uh, you know, for other cameras, you know, for the Flexopan, that's one of the elements that I, I plan on working in. And then once, you know, w- the good news is once I have those things designed, I can spread them across a bunch of different, uh, camera designs, you know, uh, once I have that component, I can drop it in uh, to to other uh, other camera. Designs. I just so. I just had a a, a sudden uh, thought of another way to solve that flexible format length idea. Imagine uh, a flexible measuring tape like seamstresses use, but very thin on ribbon, and you. You, okay. When you load your 120 film, you you load it so that it's going to pull that ribbon along in line with one of the red windows, and the ribbon is marked off uh, in whatever your alternative format needs to be. So it's basically replacing the markings on the on the back of the paper with markings on a ribbon that you place right. at the precisely right starting point and crank it through. Is there a is there a huge advantage over? Um, over uh, just uh, using the backing paper. Well, so the backing paper. There are a lot of different panoramic formats you can get if you set up a special back oh, with multiple windows. But this would be a way that you could just use any window. Um, in fact, you should probably make the ribbon wide enough that it would cover all the windows. So then you could use it with any camera, and just any red window camera could be converted to any format that you know that it's it's capable of, gotcha. of accepting, right? Obviously, you know, you can't put a six by nine in a six, four, five and expect to get the frame, but you know, right, right. Exactly. Um, so part of the deal is with that, you're going to have to have an independent, well, or you're going to have to not independent. What am I trying to say? You're going to have to have two things advancing at the same time. You're going to have to have the ribbon advancing at the same and, uh, and the film. Well, I'm talking about literally uh, sticking the them together. Time. Oh, so it's, well, okay. So, so you're looking you're saying, through, the, but then you're going to you get need a red window. So all this is, is an extremely low tech solution with, yeah. with red window cameras. It, it's of limited value, but say you wanted to make a 135 uh, panoramic camera out of a, you know, Bessa six by nine folding camera. 
Well, this would be an extremely low-tech and simple way to do it. You would just take your ribbon and stick it on the film and load it. Look through the red window yeah. and crank away. And you would be using, uh, you'd have to have, you know, unloaded in a dark bag and all of that. But it would be a way that you could use, you know, with with no mechanical modifications. So it's an idea. You would, you would have to, you know, maybe a ribbon would be durable, mm-hmm. um, which would be nice. But it would have to be as thin as possible mm-hmm. so it doesn't thicken the roll to the point right, where... Right the end caps um, right. aren't covering and you get get fogging at the edges of the film. And it might want to have a little bit of stickum here and there on it to you know keep it stable. Who knows? You'd have to experiment, but, but right. you could come up with something and it's an idea that would be worth trying. Um, the kind of thing if, you know, in a pinch you could figure it out. So my final thing that I uh, plan on working on uh, for, the, for the next uh, year, in the new year, um, is, uh, the lumen box, uh, concept. Now I did a four by five, but I don't think that, well, four by five is a problem because I don't have the, um, the lens that is going to cover that in this particular configuration. Um, so, uh, if I continue with the M39 mount, now I could theoretically put any mount on there I want. Um but the M39 and I guess an M42 would be okay to do as well. Um it's just you know they screw on. They're easy. They're available, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. No, I, I have the same. And same I have a notion. bunch of them. I don't have I don't have any M42 lenses, but uh Well, I actually I have, have quite I have quite a few if if there's something that you need I can loan it to you. I don't I don't okay. use them that often, but you can you find them for five dollars and ten dollars in junk stores, so it's hard to walk by, you know. Right. Right. But I but not where I am, uh unfortunately. Uh but yeah. But I do understand that they, they can be had in that way. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I want to look at is also seeing if I can find some just single element lenses that I can make, that I can Im- embed, you know, mount onto one side of a box and uh, and put the paper on the other side of the box and just cover the, the hole with something. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or you know, have, have the equivalent of a dark slide somewhere in there. Th- that would make them stand alone Objects. Well, a really straight, a straightforward uh, way to do that is just to use a regular uh, sheet film back designed for four by five or five by seven or eight by ten or one of those, or make your own. But um, you can keep put and load the instead of having to load the paper into the camera, then you can load the paper into the film holder. It can be actually a little easier to do with without getting fingerprints on it or whatever. Um, and and it wouldn't be that hard to make it either if you. Put a saw kerf in a piece of wood, uh, and use one of those on each side, and then just make a light tight box out of the whole thing. And you just slide the paper into those two slots created by the saw kerf on each side, and uh, it's pretty simple.
uh, besides specific camera builds or uh, modifications or things like that, what are your non-build goals uh, for the upcoming year? What do you? What is it that you want to want to do? Um, that, you know, are, are not directly related to building cameras. Oh, I want to set up an eBay store and sell off excess camera gear. Uh, there's, I've, you know, I've whittled things down and there's stuff to get rid of. That's something I need to do. Um, and it's actually kind of look forward to it. And I'm starting to think about maybe if I, if I build an ex- excess of cameras, if I make too many of these contraptions, then it would be fun to sell those as well. And and I've noticed people doing that. There are some, occasionally you'll see an obvious home-built camera crop up somewhere like eBay, and some of them are really fun. Uh, re- you know, sometimes they're a, a really good idea. Sometimes they're just really fun-looking or interesting, but uh, that would be fun. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking um, that I want to do is um, I want to find, I guess, a new way of taking photographs. And I'm not talking about a new camera. Um, a new way of taking photos of things that are around me in an interesting way that I feel is fresh. As opposed to, you know, we all get to the point where the things around us are stale. I've already taken a picture of that. You know, I live in Florida. I don't need another picture of a palm tree. I don't need another picture of a palm tree. Now, if I lived in, um, I don't know, Alaska, I'd love to take a picture of a palm tree. Wouldn't that be great? But, you know, I live in Florida. I don't need another picture of a palm tree. I want to be able to... Go through my world, go through the local neighborhood, go through the areas around me, and take pictures in a way that is new and fresh and interesting. And I think uh, part of it, uh, part of what's charging me on this is the the lumen box concept. Um, but um, you know, it doesn't. It, you know, it's not just that. It's the idea of making some images that are not necessarily clean, not necessarily uh, representational, if that makes sense. Yeah, I have a, uh, I have a, a parallel and strong uh, desire to, to make images that are very um, that, are, that, have, that are much more intentional and worked over and planned. Uh, and one of the things that I've had in the back of my mind that might really help with that, and you might be interested in this too, is to is to start using lighting, to look at using a strobe or bright light of some kind. And also, so so there was a guy on the Lensless podcast who was complaining and moaning that he, he has bright light all day and it's, it never varies and it's boring compared to, you know, places that are dark and gloomy and romantic like where I live. And... I think he was speaking to a British fellow, but you know, it's the same idea. Uh, But I thought to myself, here's the cure for that. I thought you've got too much light. So get rid of some light. And I thought, you know, what about, what about taking, uh, instead of a light producing device, a shadow producing device out in, out into, to make photographs, you know, have a big opaque 
tarp that you can hold in front of the sun, it casts a dark shadow on your subject. <laughs> or or maybe pattern shadows. Like there's a million photographs of uh, somebody attractive in front of a Venetian blind with stripes on them. Okay. But you could take that idea out into the landscape. It doesn't have to be, you know, that same old window shot and, and maybe make something that cast a pattern shadow and use that. Uh, so I'm interested in trying that in the other way around and introducing light because it's pitch dark here. And, uh, I really, you know, I could use more light. So that's the thing that I've sort of been holding in reserve as a way to suddenly change the work and, and do something fresh. And it also introduces this something that I'm not familiar with, which is I use, I usually hunt for photographs and, you know, find existing one, existing images that I just have to capture. But this thing where you actually go in and change the environment and change the light and, you know, make it happen, that's, I think that's a really worth pursuing. And I think it, I think it would be really good to, to get your, kind of get your hands dirty that way. Yeah, I, I'm, I've always been, uh, an existing light photographer. Uh, I've never really spent a lot of time learning lighting systems. Same here. Uh, flashes and stuff like that. But this is, this so, is not a matter of purity. This is because I'm too lazy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there's something, there's something about that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, so, so yeah, I can, um, uh, I can follow, uh, I can follow the logic of, uh, of what you're saying. Um, but, um, e- yeah, I, I'm thinking also there are ways of manipulate, manipulating the light that's around you. You know, you can, um, oh, yeah. uh, use diffusers right. and, or graduated uh, filters you know, and create, yeah, well, I'm thinking of, uh, uh, of like, um, uh, very thin material that you put over a subject so it doesn't filter out the, the contrast as much. Like, like you know, a, like a scrim? A, uh, I guess if that's the word for it. In yeah. theaters. Yeah, um, in theaters. It's a, it's a thin veil, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. Um, and so, uh, so that would have something to do with it. You can have, very specific color bouncing um, devices that are near the subject that you want to take photos of. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all, those are all kind of interesting things. I'll, I'll agree with that. Um, and the, yeah, the other thing in the back of my mind is to, is to get right down into the water or on the surface of the water. And, and that's another project that is sort of on, you know, on standby for when I have more time. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, when you build your four by five pinhole underwater camera. Well, yeah, why not? <laughs> well, I think so, we've seen uh, them where people let the whole thing fill with water, which is the elegant solution. Right, right. There we go. Um, so one of the, uh, one of the ways in which you could build one of those, uh, is with a 3d printer, which I've been working with, as I said, for a mm-hmm. year. Um, the 3D printer, let me tell you, uh, we have a, a maker bot, uh, at, at school, at work, where I, where I teach. We have a maker bot fifth generation, uh, 5G. And that apparently was a $3,000 printer. And it came with like 
uh, I don't know, a dozen rolls of filament uh, in various colors, none of which is has been run through, which tells you about how much it's used. Um, but it has some issues. Um, it has a cold bed um, and uh, it's good to have a heated bed because the heated bed will keep the will allow the plastic to slow to um, cool and shrink at a slower rate um, and uh, and and it makes for better prints for you know one thing or the other but the um, the uh, um, it, anyway um, it, it's it's the technology has been outdated in the last three years. And as so it was a $3,000 printer new, as I understand it. Uh, I was not there when it was purchased, but a $3,000 printer new. Well, right now you can get decent printers. In fact, some of the better printers for $200. Um, so they have become cheap enough that they can really be, you know, a, a household object. Um now it's open source it comes un uh disassembled um you know unassembled so you have to do all of that stuff um but it is um you know it's at the point where you can uh make you know you can start delving in now you're going to need a couple of things you're going to need um uh, 3d design software. Um, and I use, uh, fusion 360 that allows you for, a. I, I'm, I, to tell you the truth, I'm on an educational license and I don't understand their licensing system, but I think they allow you to use it if you're not a commercial operation. So, um, uh, that's one thing you can also look up there. There are tons of, of different 3d design software out there. You have to learn how to use that. Then you also need some software that will prepare the files that you make for printing. And they call that a slicer. And, uh, and then you need filament filament costs, uh, about $20 for a one kilo reel and a one kilo reel uh is quite a bit uh, i don't know how to say it if you're printing say oh well it's like two and it, a half it pounds varies. It, and you're making lightweight yeah, objects it, so yeah it's gonna go a long right. way it's gonna go a long way um so if you just get one you don't have to buy seven reels of the same color uh you know, if you want to get seven different colors, that's perfectly fine. But it's going to take you a while to go through it. Mm -hmm. um, so they're they're now down at commodity prices, and um, uh, you know, uh, so if you're at all interested, I I highly suggest it. Um, uh, so uh, do a little bit of research. Um, uh, I don't have a a real specific, uh, brand or, uh, or type. Um, 
but uh you know they're out what there I, what uh, i need to so, do is i need to start by working with the 3d software and once i've drawn something that i would actually want to produce i might even just send that off as a you know first try to see you know i might try that a couple times before i need plumped for a printer uh but you know who knows i've been more i've been really um excited mo- more by putting time and energy into making prints of the images than of printing cameras but i do keep coming up with parts that it would be more economical and simpler for me to simply draw and print out than to you know search for some old broken camera to get the thing off of i mean i i'm still mostly in that mode and i enjoy working that way and I don't have anything against it. But now and again, there's a missing part I might have to wait months for or years for that I could just make. <laughs> and maybe I could make it out of wood or glue or whatever else. But there is there is some appeal when you want a very specific thing in the idea of, of directly making it with a printer. Yeah, I can see that. So, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I'm learning more and more uh, about printing, uh, I've been talking a lot to uh, Ethan Camerodactyl. And, um, he's been, you know, when I, when I run into problems and, and say, Hey, look, this is warped. He'll tell me why, Mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, I, I was talking about the lumen box and, uh, and I showed it to him and I said, see, this thing's warped. And he said, um, oh, well, that's your fault. (laughs) Well, I think the design is turning out. And he told me how to, yeah. And he told me why, mm-hmm. right? You know, it, and, and that was part of the deal. Um, uh, I, of course, blamed it on the printer. And he said, nah, well, okay, some of it's the printer. Well, you, some of it's Well, you, you know what it means <laughs> you know? when someone blames their tools. That's right. <laughs> They're right. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I know exactly. Um uh, yeah. Uh, so it seems to me, I don't know anything yeah. about plastic and printing plastic, but it seems likely to me that the design will matter a lot. That if that something's going to need a certain amount of beef and and you know backup s- s- layers or whatever in there right. in order to withstand not just its later use, but going through the whole birth process, coming out of the printer in the, in the right shape and all yeah. of that, you know? Yeah. So absolutely. it's kind of like an organism in that sense. It has to grow in a certain sequence or things get bollocked up. And yeah. Well, one of the things I was doing that was, that was warping them is I was making a square corner. And the problem with the square mm. corner is as the material shrinks, right. it's shrinking towards the center. Right. And it would peel up that corner. Mm-hmm. Now, if I had made that corner rounded right. or, or I had put it on a round base, right. then that shrinkage is not going to peel up that corner. Because you don't have an abrupt it's, change in angle, angularity like in one right. spot. And actually, right. it's a nicer, that rounded end, that Leica knockoff design is kind of nicer. So it's, yeah, this, this yeah. engineering problem is actually doing you a favor. I think we make boxes because we're used to um, butchered wood as as a starting point, and but there really isn't any reason that plastic should be in a box shape any more than metal should be, you know. So, uh, so anyway, that's uh, something that's available. Um, we've come to the point where uh, you know two hundred dollar printers are available, and uh, yeah, and I'm not saying that I I can teach you how to use it. Uh, I'm just saying they're available. 
Um, what so, most appeals to yeah. me is, is the idea of connectors. So, you know, the thing that makes, and also spacers. So the things I struggle with in setting up these homemade cameras is getting the right distance between the lens and the film. Often that's very critical and can be very finicky and being able to make like a camera part and then just say, no, I should have made that a tiny bit thicker and then just print that thicker one out and try it. That's, that would be very, very, uh, useful. Right. Just, or even parts that, you know, we're going to go between, uh, ready-made camera parts that weren't quite working out and you'd be able to make just a little, you know, precisely fitting spacer that would make everything work. Right. Do you have a book? Oh yeah, I do. Um, I had uh, I stopped by Half Price Bookstore all the time that that buys a lot of used books, and they they have every now and again they'll hit obviously some photographer's estate, and a bunch of good stuff will come through. And this time uh, there were a couple more books to add to my pile of alternative pr- process books. Uh, one of them is called Alternative F- Photographic Process by Kent E. Wade, and it's an older paperback i don't know let's see what it says it says 1978 yeah i wonder i like it and (laughs) so it's very hands-on and very um practical and who knows if all of these products are still available in the open market but (laughs) there there are all these kind of direct uh interesting processes for working on glass and fabric and metal and you know photographic printing on all these other materials Uh, so it's a cool book and the other one is historic photographic processes by richard farber a guide to creating handmade photographic images and it's got great illustrations and recipes lots of recipes for Basically, all sorts of outlandish and interesting ways of creating your own media and developing it. It's a good book. That uh, that reminds me, um, and I'm going to go a little bit off the topic of the book, uh, but Box of Cameras, um, Matt from Box of Cameras, has been doing... Um, he's been going through the process of making his own developer... Um, and he's making ECN2, which is the developer for, uh, the Kodak motion picture, um, film. So that's going to work for the CineStill films, for instance? Well, yeah, it would work for CineStill. It would also, you know, work for the Vision 3 films. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a little bit difference. There's a, a difference in the dyes in those versus the dyes in uh, films that are designed for um, for either E6 or for um, C41. C41, right. So uh, it's worth listening to him uh, picking up the last few episodes of Box of Cameras. Um, and he's also uh, on Instagram. He has the Box of Cameras. Um, and I think he's also... Matt Melcher on 
uh, Instagram, and he is Matt Melcher on Flickr, and um, uh, it's worth following his stuff. So uh, I found it pretty pretty interesting. Um, and he hasn't. I, I don't think he's per- perfected it yet, but he's going through the whole process of perfecting it. And um, he says he he spent about a hundred dollars on the chemicals, but he's got pounds of chemicals, and he's using you know grams of them. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know there it it would be pretty economical in in a, in a long run. I hadn't really realized so, that you were named for a unit of measure until you just said that. Yes, except I'm not because it's spelled differently. <laughs> I I am named after the flower that graham crackers are made. Oh, no, no, I'm not. Oh, I didn't realize they came from who, a flower. That's that's cool. The graham flower. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And uh graham flowers. Mm-hmm. Um but um you know, the sunny 16 gram is spelled just wrong. Um, I don't know how else to say it. It's just wrong. Well, yeah, that's good though. <laughs> uh, yes, without variety, we would have all of the same. Um, do you have any, uh, shout outs? Any, anybody you want to, uh, want to mention? I, I probably do, but I don't have it in front of me. I'm all okay. ex- exceedingly disorganized today. Okay. Um, I, I guess I just did with Matt. Um, and, um, oh yeah, I still can't think of the person's name on Instagram who was doing the, the camera wrapping. Oh, you'll have to hang up the phone to remember that. And yeah, right. Exactly. No, I'll have to drive home. I'll have to be five minutes away in my car and driving. Well, I already am home. I'll have to go drive That's somewhere. That's too much trouble. Just forget it. <laughs> and then I'll have to drive towards home. Too- I'll just not remember who it was. That's right. Um, so um, you can find us. You can email us. Um, Graham at Homemade Camera. Nick at HomemadeCamera.com. HomemadeCamera.com. There we go. We have the website, HomemadeCamera.com. Uh, I am Freezer of Photons. All one word. Uh, on Flickr and Graham Homemade Camera on Instagram, and uh, that the and you are on well Nick Lyle on Flickr is where all the real photographic pursuits are. That sounds good. And I want to thank uh, Robbie Cribs oh. of Soundtrap Studios for creating the music that we use throughout this show. Thanks.
Did you uh, did you participate in uh, Emulsive Secret Secret Santa? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. I did, and I didn't get anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, there might have been a delay, or perhaps your your present, yeah, uh, present right. was in some sort of a natural disaster and was destroyed, or something. Yes, yeah. I mean, it could it could have been. Yeah, uh, I'm absolutely willing to to. Um, uh, to give the benefit of the doubt, so. or maybe it's trapped to a yak slowly coming this way. I uh, a yak present. Oh man, please! Oh, no delivery, yak delivery. Well, sure, as long as it will spit at me, I'm good with that. No yaks don't spit. I'm thinking of uh, llamas and camels, and I don't know one way or the other about yak yeah. spit. No, yeah, I think maybe one of our are, listeners will know. Yaks are more bovine than they are. What is what's the ein for um uh for those, uh, yeah the, um, the the camels the llamas and, and vicuñas and all those yeah, yeah it's a whole other thing 